0: Welcome to Zonem Canada. I'm your host Jesse Betteridge. Joining me today for the first time is my good friend. Uh, she's from the Anna Twitter sphere. You may know her on there as Kitty Cat Star Gal. Uh, she's also done a bit of work on visual novels uh, in with writing some that have come out in the past few years. It's Sarah. Uh, Sarah, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for having me. So, full disclosure, uh, this episode, which is you know, was a little late. I'm aware. Um, it was originally supposed to be about a new channel uh, that's going to be launching in Canada soon called Wow TV. So if you haven't heard about it, Wow TV is being launched by Wow Unlimited, which is sort of a conglomeration uh partially owned by Cartoon Brew and uh, Churnin Group and it's kind of tangled up with all of the all the Verve properties uh, in some way um, and also it's the channels also being launched in collaboration with Bell. Uh, It's a youth channel, which actually marks the first time that Bell has really tried launching a youth channel, and it's actually going to be taking the place of the Comedy Gold Network, and the approval for that changeover was just approved by the CRTC. Um, So the reason why this is probably worth discussing uh, is because the vice president of WoW TV has been very clear uh, publicly on Twitter for a while that they are interested in airing anime on this station. Uh, which is likely gonna be a big deal. You know, this show when we started this show, we talked a lot about the TV ecosystem in Canada, how it's changed and what the future might be. And there's a lot to say about that as well, uh, especially with the way that um, Wow TV fits into that whole picture. Um, and I, I really want to get into it, but unfortunately, I have to restrain myself a little bit because Wow TV has still not made any programming announcements. Uh, and I just know that I'm gonna if I record an episode about Wow TV, uh, we're going to do a whole bunch of speculation in that episode, and then while I'm editing it, they're going to release their actual programming announcements, and it's going to contradict everything we say, and I just want to avoid a mess like that. So we're going to show a little restraint, or I'm going to show a little restraint and hold off on doing an actual WoW TV episode. Uh, another reason the episode got delayed was because of Anime Revolution uh, in Vancouver, which was a couple of weeks ago. I did four panels, and that just completely consumed my life. Uh, for quite a while, and it kind of left me with no time to actually uh, throw together an episode, uh, which I intended to do. And we're going to talk a little about that convention uh, right now. Um, so, Sarah, this is uh, this was the first time you had been to Anime Revolution this year. I think you were you were at no, I know you were at SakuraCon uh, earlier this year as well. Um, how how did you find it overall?
1: I've I lived in Vancouver before, and every year I remember seeing like you know. Uh, people dressing up and I was just like, oh, there's a con here and never really thought about it. But my first time here, I, I was actually, uh, pretty impressed. Um, usually I've been to like small college conventions uh-huh. here, but no, I really liked it. Um, the venue was gorgeous. Um, between like all the good food, of course, it's Vancouver. Please visit. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was pretty well organized. I heard there was issues last year. So, um, this year I, I only stood in line for the pre-pickup badge for, like, no more than an hour, and I heard that was probably the worst, like, the worst part of it.
0: Yeah, last year, the line was the the big looming issue for that convention. It, it was, like, completely out of control. They didn't have enough people managing it. Uh, they let the pre-reg and reg lines merge together, and it just created this giant disaster, and so many people were waiting in line all day on Friday. But they were on top of things, and they got that completely fixed this time. Uh, which was I was great to see. I every time I checked in this time, the pre-reg line was always shorter than the registration line, which is a very good sign that you're handling that well. Um, and like I think one to two hour wait time, that's perfectly reasonable wait time for for a con this size. And they also um, last year they tried to institute this ultra ultraviolet stamp that they would check on your arm or at at, at entrances on occasion, uh, and it usually just wound up being a giant mess. They did uh, still have the stamp this year, but it didn't actually wind up enforcing it, which was a very good idea, because it was a huge waste of time, and I hope they realized that.
1: Uh, yeah, that was my first time uh, getting stamped. Um, usually I'm used to, like, having, like, your badge scanned or checked. Um, they even, just, I think they, like, they just wrote your name on a Sharpie. So I was really wondering how they are going to check uh,
0: yeah. like badges. I-, I was surprised. Apparently they do that at Oticon, too. They just write your name on a Sharpie on a badge. Um, I'm sure they have some other security measure in place as well, though. I, I don't know what, though. But AR may be the only con that has tried the UV stamp thing. Maybe they need to look into to measures that other conventions have already tried rather than trying to reinvent the wheel.
1: Yeah, definitely. Like, especially for people that was, like, their first time, never really knew what the, like, the whole measurement was. Not only that, I was worried about it I'd get washed off, like, the day after.
0: Yeah, it does. And then they have to re-stamp you, and they have to check your ID And it's, yeah, it's, the whole thing was not very well thought out. I'm glad they, I'm glad they basically, if they didn't ditch it completely, I'm glad that they just kind of ignored it this
1: time. Yeah, aside from getting in after that, it was, like, really nice and easy. Um, like, the panels are all laid out, um, very, like, easy to navigate, um... I, I really liked how they set up, like, the artist gallery, like, just down there. Like, it was just really, like, I really liked it. I think the only downside was their, like, I think a lot of people mentioned it, like, their downtown between panels. There wasn't much to do. There, I think there was two, two rooms for, uh, anime, um, being shown, and then there's a couple of, like, I really like the Gumpler rooms. Um, showing people how to like uh get your Gunpla going.
0: Yeah, and... yeah, yeah, they The having a Gunpla room was a good idea. I think Gunpla was actually there in an official capacity, which was nice. They had a a pretty neat display uh going in the in the dealer's hall for that as well. But yeah, the the big issue with this con again is like they don't really have stuff for downtime. Uh, and there's you know. There was more interesting panels going on, uh, this time than compared to last year, uh, for sure. Uh, they had, I think, about 20 more panels, uh, compared to last time within the same number of panel rooms and within the same amount of time. So the scheduling, the scheduling was much more efficient. They keep their gaming area in the dealer's hall and, you know, in, in an effort to keep the gaming open later, that resulted in some weird hours. Like the dealer's hall didn't open until, I think, one on Friday, mm-hmm. was it? Yeah. It was until yeah. 8 PM, which, you know, is not, bad it, it's unusual but it's not a bad move um, but it would be nice if they could get that gaming area somewhere where they could actually keep it open later hours without having to artificially extend the hours in the dealer's hall because like you know well, there should be other stuff to do outside of that area too now I know that they're they're limited with this Vancouver Convention Center where they have it at like you said it's a gorgeous venue um, but it's also very very expensive the fact that they have been able to secure that venue, for two years in a row is is mighty impressive. And I I think that's probably the upside of this being a for profit convention is that I don't think that a non profit convention could have pulled that off. I mean, good for them in that in that regard. Uh, but I hope that they can secure more space uh, in that convention hall at some point. I mean, it's a it's a gorgeous venue. I'm glad they have what they do. Uh, but they they need a little more space for for stuff especially again for for downtime stuff um, they only have like you mentioned they only have two screening rooms They they were much better laid out this year than they were last year and programming choices seemed a little more they, they seemed a little random last year uh, this year they were focused more exclusively on on current stuff uh, current Crunchyroll titles which is not bad, but it you know doesn't leave doesn't lend itself to a lot of variety, but what they really need um they need like a karaoke room or a manga library, or even just another screening room that's showing more varied content, like old or weird stuff that that people are less likely to have seen they, they have to even with their current space, they need to find a way to add one of those things because they just they just don't have enough variety of activities to do. When you know you, when you have when you're between panels or between events at the convention, and that's still kind of the big glaring thing I think they need to address
1: not only that like well if every year I see more families bringing their kids over um so I'm hoping like maybe there'll be more downtime for the kids whether yeah. it's like watercolors or just something because like i that's what I like about it. I see like uh Family and they're all cosplaying. It's really cute, and I'm really happy to see more family. Like, I would love to see more family-oriented activities. Like, as much as I love like the 18 plus panels and all that stuff, there's so much of that stuff. Like, we are not lacking in that department, but I would love more just some family-oriented
0: activities. I, I could argue we could get better 18 plus content than we currently do. Oh, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> um, but yeah, for I absolutely, and I think I think it's a problem with a lot of anime conventions is that they they struggle with. Having something that's kind of exclusively for families or for kids, um, but yeah, having having something like that would be would be a good idea for sure. And it, it always is surprising to see how many how many whole, full full families come to to these cons a lot of the time. I think of all the local or like nearby conventions, I think um, Emerald City Comic Con is the only one I've seen that has really done a good job of having like kids specific events going on at the con as uh, just just sort of a side thing. Uh, for 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 downtime at that con, oh yeah, that's definitely something that they could they could add, and I think would be a, a good addition.
1: Oh, what panels did you go to?
0: I didn't. I still didn't go to too many panels. I mean, Jarvis, uh, Jarvis Gray was there. He did a number of his usual panels, like uh, awesome anime openings and when anime sells out. And I finally got to see his Anime Abominations panel, uh, which is all about the worst 3D anime um, ever. Uh, which is a fantastic experience, and I'm glad I stayed at the convention till 11 for it, even though I actually had to miss Teddy Lloyd's, uh, set at the, the anime rave in order to see it. Which kinda sucked, cause it was kind of amazing that they managed to get Teddy Lloyd. Uh, and that was especially great after Sakura-Con had gotten Teddy Lloyd, and he didn't wind up being able to come due to passport issues. I mean, that was a great, uh, a great get, but I, uh, I I skipped out uh, to see anime abominations. I do not regret that choice. Although I did hear that Teddy Lloyd apparently did do a surprise set at the closing ceremonies, which I guess I guess serves me right for never going to closing ceremonies at uh, at conventions.
1: Uh, we went to a celebration of uh, Sailor Moon, like twenty five years. in the Oh making.
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, that was uh, <laughs> that that was. They sh- I'm glad they showed some of the the clips from the old live action Sailor Moon. Mm. Um, overall, not a great panel. Uh, I mean, it was supposed to be a celebrating the 25th anniversary of Sailor Moon. The best way to do that is not spending 20 minutes talking about how the Deke dub is so much better than the, the Viz dub, uh, which is how that panel started, and it wasn't wasn't a great way to kick things off, in my opinion.
1: I went to the history of a uh, mecha anime. I, I enjoyed it a lot, since uh, most of the mecha I was familiar with was, like, you know, Gundam Wing, Gundam Seed. But um you know, kinda one of from Astro Boy. I think the I think the most recent one they got, I think they stopped around like two thousand two though. They just said there was like nothing nothing recent in the last decade where they felt like they could show that kind of reinvented Mac uh, mecha or added anything new to it. But um there's a lot of focus on like um Macross, of course, mobile suit gundam. Um, all that i, I was kind of sad they didn't mention like some of the shoujo-ish stuff like mescaflony um, kind of got a mention um i really liked ray earth i kind of wish they had a little more focus on mm-hmm. like oriented mecha but it's always like a little black hole there it's it's very skipped and it's like not much there
0: well i i disagree with the point that nothing worthwhile has come since 2002 i mean i know mecha as a as a genre is kind of dead i guess um, it's, it's not it's not like it was in, like, the, the 80s and 90s, for sure. But there's stuff worth mentioning after that.
1: I think it's like they said they kind of stopped because um, they said, like, it's more focused on, like, the characters, the emotions, like that, and less about the robot itself, which, you know, I can kind of see. I'm sure there'll be something else that'll come out. But, no, I feel like there has been a lot of, like, there's been a few, like Mecca, that's been very enjoyable and worth mentioning. But, yeah, I just feel like they couldn't cover anything beyond uh, the early uh, 2000s.
0: And, oh, and you went to the scripted chaos as well, right? (laughs) (laughs) So let let me Uh, just explain scripted chaos to people who who are not familiar. This is a kind of unique event they do at Anime Revolution, and and I like the idea behind it. It's a great concept. They get all their English language voice actors who are at the convention, and they provide them with scripts from different anime, and they get them to read from those scripts, but using the voices of different characters that they do in different shows. For instance, a couple of years ago, they had Tony Oliver. They had him read from a script for Love Live um, as one of the girls, but in his voice for Lupin. Uh, and it was hilarious. As long as they have good voice actors and good content to work with, uh, it's a very good panel. The problem was that they only had about a half hour's worth of content for these voice actors to work with, and then it just turned into Q&A after, and Sarah, I understand that this time uh, it hasn't improved much?
1: No, um, the script, uh, the two that I remember, um, they picked two scripts. One was for uh, Batman versus Superman, um, I I liked it because every sentence, they stopped themselves. They are like, what is this? And they were very confused because none of them have watched the movies. And they were (laughs) like, this is a terrible script. And they just couldn't really comprehend what was going on. It's the Martha scene. Mm -hmm. Um, So they had... um, Clifford uh play the voice of uh, Bakugo, and then I think Pro ZD was Superman with like a Jap- Japanese wee voice, or they did some kind of nerd voice for him. So it was just it was hilarious. But well, yeah, one,
0: one of his voice, one of his his voices. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely one of
0: his.
1: Yeah. <laughs> as himself. After uh, it was done, um, uh, it took ten minutes for everyone to go inside, so we started ten minutes late, and then the script chaos itself was twenty minutes. And then right after that, they went straight to Q and A, and I felt really bad. I was the only one who got up and walked right out. But there could be good Q and A, but I find so many Q and As I've tended to like, there's always been like that one question that cringe, like just the whole room just cringes and everything goes quiet, and you just wish you were not there because you feel like you're secondhand embarrassment for whoever asked that
0: question. Yeah, in my many years of doing panels, I have long since learned that Q and A is just a bad idea. And I, I no longer do it at any of my panels. It's better to prepare enough content to make you to actually fill out the full hour. Also, people don't ask questions. The whole thing just falls flat, and, and it's just really awkward. As you said, ProZD was there, and that also caused another problem, because anything, any panel that had ProZD was impossible to get into, pretty much. In fact, it was, you were very lucky to even get into that one.
1: <laughs> I got into that one because I couldn't get into the Inu Asha one, and I was so spiteful, I went to the other long line, I went, <laughs> Oh, I'm going to this one. <laughs> yeah. That was the only way I got to see us. Uh, that was the only way I got to see the Yuri on Ice uh, cast at Anime Fest, which is pure spite of not getting into the autograph.
0: That was another thing, because I think people, many people for the scripted chaos, like you waited like two hours to get into that scripted chaos as well, or something like that.
1: Uh, I think it hit the hour. Um, I think two hours before there was already uh, people hovering and trying to figure out which line it went to yeah. start. Uh, the hour before people were already lined up, and then they had to, um before they didn't cut any lines off, like with the new Asha, they just let the line go as long as they can, and then they just stopped when they couldn't fill. I was, like, very close, very, very close. So um with that one, what they did was I think they counted, and then they just cut the line up and said, okay, no more people after this. And then you had to be the sad line that told everyone you can't line here, you can't line here.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least they cut the line off. But yeah. I mean, they, they really next year, they really need to institute a rule that you can only line up for you have to wait before a certain time in order to line up for an event because people shouldn't be waiting in line for two hours to get into one panel, especially when, you know, there are already people waiting in line to get to the panel before the panel you're waiting for. That's just that's that's kind of ridiculous. Also, I mean, I personally I, I know Pro ZD is popular. I don't think I would have predicted that he would have caused as large sensation as he did at this convention. Yeah, they really should have put like scripted chaos and the stuff that he was in in the main events theater uh, instead of in just the little panel rooms, uh, because then you would have actually been able to accommodate more of the people who wanted to come and and see just him uh, in in these different pa- in these different panels that he was he was put into. And that that brings up kind of another problem is that the main events theater it's just packed with all of these live stage show kind of events, Uh and there's not a lot of variety going on in that room. Uh I mean, if you go through the schedule, you'll see they have, like, the talent show. They have the walk-off, th- th- three walk-offs that consume two hours each day they have like the kimono contest they have the worst cosplay show they have the the idol show and then they have the actual cosplay show which was like tucked away at 5 p.m. on Sunday which was kind of ridiculous i mean you don't need all of those i i think this con goes a little overboard with the the live events i think they need to reevaluate that and and maybe cut a few because they could really be using that uh That main stage for some some other things like scripted chaos, like they could they could retool that, maybe make it the the actual scripted chaos part take up the whole hour instead of only twenty minutes of it, and put it in the main stage theater because you know you usually they have they're not always going to have pro ZD, but they're usually going to have some popular voice actor guests in it. I mean, also it would be great if they like screened a movie or something in that main events theater. It seem it really feels like when you're piling on all those. Like, live performance things. It kind of results in the, the actual anime component of the, uh, the event being pushed aside. Uh, which I know is not an unusual thing to happen at, at anime conventions, but it would be nice if they, if they kind of shifted the focus in that room. I think it would b- help balance things out a little more. Yeah,
1: I think they definitely weren't prepared for, um, that room and, like, all the lineups. Um, cause, um, after that, yeah, yeah. I was just, like, really full.
0: I know that the, the Japanese voice actors, um, they had, uh, Kappa Yamaguchi, uh, this year, uh, they had most, and uh, Satsuki Yukino, and I don't remember uh, the third one.
1: Uh, he told me uh, she did the voice of uh, Nano and Bleach. I know she was in Bleach.
0: Yes, yeah. Uh, anyway, they had Mar- oh. Marina and Noe. They had Marina and yeah. Noe as well. I missed all of her stuff, but most of the uh, Japanese voice actor Q&As they had were actually on Sunday, um, which I enjoyed because um, they were it was easier to get into stuff on Sunday. And you know you can just—it it was kind of a good way to spend the last day of the con, just kind of laying back and watching Japanese voice actors kind of do their thing. <laughs> I mean, Q and A isn't always the best—the uh, best avenue for for enjoying voice actor guests, but you know, like, people like Kapi Yamaguchi are always entertaining to watch, no matter what they're doing. Um, and of course, their you know their uh, their autograph lines were always insane. Uh, for those guests as well.
1: Oh uh, yeah, I think um there was that and then right next to the lineups were uh the state the on stage um performances and then yeah, right next to that was the gaming room and then right oh. next to that was the maid Cafe.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let, let maybe let's talk a little about the vendors hall. Um I will say it was much more organized than it was last year. And also there was no weird smell, even though I, I think I'm the only person who noticed that weird smell last year, but I swear there was a weird smell in there. But yeah, there was nothing like that this year. Uh, It was more clearly laid out. I'm glad they're filling that space, but they they did have a quote-unquote panel room uh, in the dealer's hall. Uh, That's kind of where they put all those amateur idol performances that kind of permeate this convention in a lot of ways. Probably not a lot of people appreciated having nonstop idol performances going on in there, but as a panelist, I'm happy that they kind of put those in there rather than having those groups eat up panel time. Uh, which they did last year. Um, there were like f- each of those groups each got their own panel last time and just it just ate up space that could have gone to actual panelists. Um, so I'm kind of glad they did it that way, but cramming all that stuff into the dealer's hall, they gotta you know they they, they gotta rethink it a little bit. i know they I know they're lacking space in the in in the convention center, but putting vendors and artists and autographs and made cafe. Uh, and idle performances all in one room—it's a little, it's a little much.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. You could tell uh, when you went like by that very, very end. It was just like really crowded. Um, usually for the idle performances, a lot—I think a lot of people went there, like you know, to watch something or to rest. There was always like a lot of open uh, seating, which was nice if I just needed to wait between thirty minutes, watch a couple of. Um, there there's like a there was like a rapping segment I remember that was kind of entertaining. Huh. Um, yeah, a lot of Love Live-themed uh, ones as well. But yeah, and watching that huge autograph
0: line. Yeah. Oh, and the, the gaming was in there as well. Yeah, so, so it's a little much. Um, also, I would say... I know I always go on about how there's so many bootlegs uh, in the vendor's hall at Anime Revolution. It was a little better this year than it was last year, but I... I think AR still really needs to crack down on the bootlegs. I find they're they're a lot, there's still a lot worse for that than than other conventions are. There are specifically a couple of stores like the Pop Up Shop, which is like has this gigantic, very prominent uh, section in the middle of the vendors hall. That's like they are 100% bootleg, and they absolutely need to crack down on that and, and do something about it because it's it's very blatant and 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 kind of out of control. I mean, I know AR is not the only convention that has a bunch of bootleg sellers in it, but yeah, I, I think they still need to do more to address that issue. But they did have, uh, Crunchyroll was actually there selling merch, which I don't typically, you don't typically see at Canadian conventions. Usually they, uh, they don't manage to find a way to sell merch up here, but it seems they, they pulled it off this time. They didn't have any actual reps though, which was kind of disappointing. I know it's apparently becoming an uphill battle to get those, uh, those companies to actually send reps and do, Panels and stuff at Canadian conventions, but I think you know a, a little bit more of an effort could be done on both ends of the the, the situation with that.
1: Yeah, it was, it was just nice to actually see them. Um, but yeah, if people were there, um, you'd show their show them the Crunchyroll app and app, and they would give you like um, a free poster. And then at the next day, I think every day they were selling something different or giving something away free, so it was a little different every day, which was kind of nice to it was to encourage you to come every day.
0: Yeah, they had yeah they got some some decent posters, and they weren't selling any. Banana fish merchant, or sorry, not banana fish, banana, banana fish. Um, <laughs> they weren't selling any banana merchandise, though, which is, uh, that's unfortunate. Or at least I didn't notice any.
1: No, there was none, sadly. But there was like Megalobox, um, ReZero, Food Wars, and I think a couple of more recent ones. Oh, I did go to the directing for anime with the Clifford uh, Chapin uh,
0: panel yeah oh yeah how uh how was that
1: um there was no slides or PowerPoint or anything fancy he just um sort of sat there and talked about his uh directing anime and went into all the detail about how why it takes so long for shows that look like they're done to come out on blu-ray in English since in the when the Japanese release their blu-rays you know how they fix up little tidbits like fix mm-hmm. up the anime and sound mixing when they send the new stuff over they have to kind of redo it again they might change the mouth flaps and they're like oh we have to redo this dialogue to make it match again so that's why things do take uh, longer especially if they fixed like scenes or removed or removed or added uh mouth flaps mm-hmm. so it's uh, really interesting to hear um a lot of the people who were at his panel actually didn't know who he was so after he kind of explained his the voice of back ago and like he uh, directed like Keijo and all that um everyone was just I think one uh one uh was someone in the audience is just like oh I never heard of you before but now that you uh talked about your resume you're a really cool guy and he's just like oh thanks dude
0: so man I don't know if you want to just say that but <laughs> I, to be fair I didn't I didn't really know who he was when he was announced as a, as a guest either but yeah you just gotta sometimes you just gotta emphasize what they've played in in popular shows and that's so that's usually enough and I I think there's if there was one thing at this convention that just kind of made me raise my arms and say this is total bullshit. Uh, it was the fact that they did not have Guidebook support this year. So if you, I guess if you've never been to a convention before, you might not be familiar with Guidebook, but Guidebook is an app that lets you download a really an interactive schedule uh, that's always live and being updated as things change at the con, as they always do. So it was fully expected. They had it last year. It was fully expected they'd have it again this year. Uh, but at the last minute, they said that due to the rising prices of Guidebook... Uh, we are not going to be using it this year. Uh, and that is complete crap, um, because every con uses guidebook. Icon in Winnipeg, which was the weekend before, which is a convention half the size of Anime Revolution, had full guidebook support. There is no excuse for Anime Revolution not having it. Um, I mean, it wasn't really a huge deal. There weren't very many panel rooms at Anime Revolution. They only had three panel rooms, two screening rooms, and then the main events theater, and then... A couple other things. So, you know, it wasn't a lot to keep track of. And there actually weren't a lot of schedule changes. I think only a couple things wound up being canceled. I don't recall anything being rescheduled. But, yeah, they guidebook support, come on, guys. That is basic stuff. I'm sure any convention that is going to shell out for fancy plastic badges or actually provide lanyards that aren't from a sponsored group for, for everyone at the convention or pay to have their own bags produced or, you know, pay to have this phenomenal, beautiful, expensive venue um, can shell out a little bit for a guidebook, even if the prices have gone up. I thought that was that was completely ridiculous. I hope they do something about that uh, next year.
1: Yeah, because uh, when you were in the pre lineup, you didn't even get your bag, so you got your badge. You're like, oh, come back tomorrow for your bag, which would have the guidebooks printed and some other stuff. And, of course, a lot of the times you forgot to do that, or uh, you just weren't able to get there, or you didn't know how to get it. So a lot of us just never even and got her bag.
0: Yeah, that's true. They for some reason they weren't giving out the bags on the pre-reg day, which was I don't think I've ever seen that before. I mean, get, getting the bag the next day at the con actually was not an issue at all. They were just handing them out at a table. I thought it was going to be a giant clusterfuck It it wasn't. Still, I mean, people weren't getting the printed schedules the day before the con. And I mean, you can go online easily and get it. But another problem is that the the way they lay out the the schedule, it's not really printable. They, they put it on this full color page. Um, and even if you have a color printer like I do, I printed a copy out and it's not, it doesn't really show up very well when you print it out even on a color printer. Uh, and it was, I found it really, really difficult to use. And, and the, the actual printed, the actual printed schedule they give out, it's on glossy paper. So you can't use a pencil to circle things that you want to go to. So offering ways to manage your time at the convention, they don't really they don't do much in that area. I think that's something that kind of has to be re-explored.
1: Yeah, uh, I couldn't print it off. I had a black, uh, black and white, uh, printer. And then if I wanted to do, I had to like download the PDF of my phone and just buy, like get a little app and circle what I wanted to see. And I was just like, oh, this is, uh, not as convenient as I would like. And even, even when I looked at the glossy glo- uh, guide, I couldn't even do anything with that. So that was a, that was a more difficult than I thought it would be. Oh, uh, when you just
0: I don't even know schedule. what app you can do that with.
1: Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I downloaded something called Quick Ink, so you can just, like, quickly yeah. zoom, circle, highlight what you needed. So that helped. But, again, it's sort of, like, that was a bit more difficult. All I wanted was just something easy, you know.
0: So, uh, as I mentioned, I did four panels myself. I will say that uh, my experience as a panelist, uh, as always, was really great at this convention. Uh, this, is, it's, this is something that AR handles really well. As a panelist, you get to... Pick up your badge at the info booth, so if the line does get out of control, it's not going to disrupt your ability to do a panel if you got one early in the morning or anything like that. They actually maintain 30-minute buffers between every panel and do room clears uh, after each panel, um, which I'm shocked to hear that they don't do at even other major anime conventions. Sometimes they just let people sit in the room between panels, which is insane, especially when you have people lining up for over an hour to get in a lot of the time. You know, the 30-minute buffer allows people to you know if their panel goes over by a couple of minutes it's not the end of the world and they're they're pretty laid back with that kind of thing i had a great experience um their tech support's really good as well um so even if a problem arises you can usually get it sorted out really quickly so the panels i did i did my Devilman man panel on or delightfully Devilman man seymour on friday and that got that panel consumed three months of my life and it probably got the lowest turnout of all the all four of the panels i did of course um, but you know, that's okay. It's still, the people who came, uh, really appreciated it, I think. Uh, and then I also did my Sao Takahata panel on, uh, on Saturday, which was much more popular, because of course it had Studio Ghibli in the title, and it technically was unfinished. I was completely winging it for the last little bit of that, uh, of that panel. It, that only took three, uh, days of my life, uh, pretty much, so. Uh, I guess it just shows that sometimes the stuff you put the least effort into, um, winds up being the most popular. Also, I'm, I'm, I'm quite glad I I didn't have to address the issue that has come up in the last couple of days. We saw Takahata being a impossible to work with tyrant <laughs> as a director on films, which was, came out in, uh, Toshio Suzuki's book. Uh, that just came out 2 days ago from the time we're recording this, I think I will say uh, I know Takahata and Miyazaki both have that reputation for being terrifying to work with and it, it seems that Asao Takahata was much worse for that than we than we had previously thought so it's it's kind of rough to hear about that especially after I put you know I I put together a a very positive panel about about Takahata before but I don't think it discredits his films because you know he's not the only person who worked on those films <laughs> and even if he was a uh, nightmare to work with, I I think, to throw those films in the trash or or anything like that. I think that is that that would be a disservice to all of the people who had to work very hard on those films, apart from from Takahata. That's that's my take on that. But overall, with that panel, uh, the main thing I wanted to do was get people interested in Chie the Brat, and I succeeded in that. So (laughs) I'm happy that that worked out well. And I also did Is Your Hentai Legal in Canada again, which... You know, it went okay. A lot of people left when they realized it was just me reading porn titles off of CDSA documents. (laughs) Uh, But the people who stuck around really liked it. Um, And I also did my Your Name starring Keanu Reeves again, which is comparing Your Name to uh, the 2006 film The Lake House, uh, which was a huge success. Uh, It went over even better than when I did it at SoccerCon a few months ago. And I'm hoping to do that panel at a few other cons in the future as well. Uh, I'm glad I, am glad I got to do it at AR. Uh, and again, uh, good experience as a panelist. I know Jarvis Gray. Uh, I, I convinced him to come back and do panels, um, this year and he had a really good experience too. So hopefully he'll be back next year as well. And I, I will say overall, you know, obviously a few problems with the con, but for the last few years, I've been saying that I would recommend AR to people who live in the, or like, fairly close to the metro Vancouver area. I don't have to travel too far, but I wouldn't recommend it to people who have to fly in or, or come a great distance. Uh, and I think after this year, I think I can finally safely recommend it to people who live outside of this area. I think that, you know, especially if you have friends to hang out with and, uh, and are interested in checking out the food in Vancouver, which anyone should be, I, I would say this convention is worth your time. Uh, to, come, to come down here and check it out.
1: Oh, definitely. Well, I always say, like, uh, friends who always wondered, they always wanted to visit Vancouver, and I'm like, well, now there's another reason. Come during the weekend during a con, and, you know, it's a beautiful, like, what I like about the downtime is you're literally sitting outside looking over the ocean. <laughs> it doesn't really get much better than that for con food and con atmosphere.
0: Yeah, one great thing about the food in that area is that there's this little food court that's right near the convention center, and it seems all of the con attendees just go straight for that food court and they ignore all of the other fantastic food options, which are within a ten minute walk from the convention center. I mean, we went to a whole bunch of places that just had no traffic from the con at all because everyone just beelines straight for that food court all the time and that's great i hope I hope it stays that way because <laughs> that was that was a real highlight also there was unlike last year, there was no smoke from the wild uh, from the wildfires uh blocking the view or obstructing your breathing when you were outside the convention center. Uh, but, yeah, we're, we're getting all that now, though. Uh, it just, it uh, was delayed by a couple weeks this time.
1: But, yeah, like, for my first time, like, as, well, people say, kind of, like, their history with it, like, uh, I, I, it's nice to hear that it's been improving steadily every year, uh, problems have been addressed. Like, my first time was very positive, so I would definitely, uh, go again, and I would definitely recommend it to people, like, even who live nearby or people <laughs> who won't mind flying out to see the coast. Um, uh, I think the one thing I do, I would like is a, a few more, talent from the anime that's you know just beyond voice actors like they yeah. do bring like very talented voice actors but like it's mostly like uh, people if you like cosplay if you like um voice acting Japanese and English or it's kind of like that focus right
0: yeah they do bring in more japanese voice actors than i think any other canadian con does but it's about time they i think they should start branching out maybe try bringing a mangaka or a director or even like a key animator Or, or someone, someone who actually works in the animation process. Because, you know, it's always great having panels where that's, you know, sort of Q&A with those, with those people, but, you know, you can also have them actually do a live sketch session. Those those are some of the best kinds of panels you can do at conventions. And I'd like to, I'd like to see AR try to branch out with something like that in the future. It's good. There's no, I, I would say that there's no massive problems, uh, this time around, so. That's a, that's a big improvement. Okay. So for the rest of the episode, I think we're just going to kind of talk about what we've been watching, uh, for, for new shows this season or, or continuing shows for that matter. Um, Sarah, what, uh, what has been on your queue?
1: Um, so far I've been watching Banana Fish. Um, I really love it. I, I read like the manga like, oh, over 10 years ago. So it's just nice seeing a much uh, faster adaption and, um, the animation is fluid. I'm I'm a little iffy on the modernization because they kind of made it like a modern modern graffiti New York. I, I'm okay with it. Um, I feel like a few things could have been better if they just kept it in the 80s. Everyone's cell phones doesn't seem to work for some reason, but other than that, <laughs> other than that, I'm loving it. Um, also been enjoying a uh, Phantom in the Twilight. Um, other ones a Planet With I've been very impressed by that um harukana receive um probably the happiest anime i've been like looking forward to uh, every episode every week so yeah th- those are like the main ones i've been very into and yourself
0: well banana fish i've been keeping up with um i i agree with you i think that the the attempt to modernize that story uh it doesn't quite work i think it would have been much more effective if they had kept it set in the 80s Um, because I think that would be a much more interesting setting to try and render. Also, I haven't read the original work, so I don't really know how the the original comic dealt with, like, the sexual assault and stuff. I find the anime is kind of, it doesn't get rid of it, but it seems to kind of, uh, downplay it in a a way I find kind of weird. I don't know how that compares to what it was like in the original.
1: Okay, I didn't get too far. I had the first five volumes. Mm -hmm. Um, it was very expensive back in that day, but, um... uh wasn't it really explicit like it wasn't like uh they did not put into it wasn't uh too much detail they didn't like it uh, You know how they kind of get that weird uncomfortable vibes where you feel like they're kind of fetishizing it but this like they're very respectful to the material there's a lot of uh there's a lot of like child abuse they only show like uh a, just a pan like they very you know they kind of let you know but they don't get into really uh big detail of uh, the mangas like that they cut out a few uh they cut out a few details, a couple of very racist jokes that I'm glad that did not make it into the anime, so. Oh, well,
0: that's good. <laughs>
1: yeah, so like, uh, they, you know, I guess you could always do better, but they did, they, they, they tweaked out certain things that definitely would not fly in, uh, today's audience. Um, they, yeah, so I feel like they're pretty faithful to the material from what I remember, but like, yeah, like a little trimming here and there, um, definitely faster paced too. I think, uh, blowing through like a volume, like an, Episode or two, but no, I'm really enjoying it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think it's like what 19 volumes is being crunched down to 22 episodes or something like that. Uh, you know, if it's 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 keeping a steady clip right now, so I'm enjoying it a lot. It's not, you know, as, I guess as a crime story, it's not maybe the most gripping thing I've seen, but it's a it's a very entertaining show. Uh, I, I I've been liking it a lot. I think with the stuff you've been watching, uh, I've also been following uh, Planet With. Now, with Planet With, now, j- just to be clear, I'm I am I'm assuming that everyone who's watching Planet With is at least a little bit confused about with what's going on in that show, right? It's not just me?
1: No, it's not just you, don't worry.
0: <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I kind of like the idea of, of what's going on, um, but it's, it's kind of hard to put all the pieces together at the halfway point right now. I think we kind of have to see it all play out. But, you know, despite the fact that it doesn't always make a lot of sense, I think... Um, it it certainly maintains your interest. I'll uh I'll follow that one through to the end for sure.
1: Oh definitely. I Think what I like about it. By the time you pick up the shouted or you think there might be a twist, it's like aha, I see what you're doing. They already put it, like they already drop it, and they're onto the mm. plot twist. And you, you, it's it's a enjoyable ride. And yeah, I, I don't know where it will go, but I'm very excited to see what um it'll do next.
0: Yeah, I, I know. I did, I did not really like the first episode that much because it kind of threw you into the the thick of things in a way that I found aggravatingly confusing. Uh, the the following episodes kind of stepped it back a little bit, but I, I'm liking it a lot. I'll uh, I'll I'll keep following that one. Uh, did you wind up following Hanebato?
1: I did. Um, I kind of dropped it halfway. I feel I might pick it up again. It's um like I really loved the first episode. I wanted to keep liking it. After a while, um the characters kind of dragged you down with their like kind of melodrama, and it's more not only that, but the other characters kind of got fed into it and they enabled it, so everyone couldn't escape it.
0: Too much melodrama? You can't be serious.
1: I know. And usually I love that stuff. I mean, if you watch Glass Mask, um, that that's, like, probably my my kind of melodrama. But I think it's more like I wasn't really t- attached to the characters yet. So when they started adding, like, um, all this, like, mother subplot, I, I just couldn't really uh, get invested as much. Um, I, there's some really strong points, though. The animation's fluid. Um, I do love, like, the talent versus, like, you know, um, working hard and all that. But uh yeah, I might pick it up a little bit. I might just see how it uh see how the reaction is at the end. Um but yeah, some people might have found it too intense. Other people really loved it. So I think it's just more like if you really love angry girls, it's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know if you've have you looked at any of the manga? I think it's really fascinating how the art style uh in that series has evolved uh, over the time that it's been running, I think like 15 volumes or something uh it starts out as like a really kind of fan servicey shonen girl sport anime and then it evolves into this really a much more intense aggressive art style than you would expect based on uh based on the beginning you you, you can actually just see it when you look at the covers for the uh for the manga the art style changes drastically from the beginning to where we are now and i think from what the little i've seen of the show i think it it's kind of Trying to integrate all of those elements into the, into the series right from the beginning. Maybe that's why it's coming off a little awkward with the way that they're, they're implementing. Are, are you, have you been keeping up with Asobi Asobase?
1: Uh, sadly, no. I've been hearing, uh, good things about it though. I uh, actually, I thought the season overall was light, but now, um, people like, you know, people giving more, more than the three episode chance and they're kind of like warming up to certain shows.
0: Asobi Asobase is, I swear, it is some of the funniest shit I have seen in quite a long time. So I don't know if if you haven't heard of this show, you may have seen on social media people posting pictures of these girls with these sort of grotesque, demonic reaction faces. When I saw images of, of those images when, after the first episode aired, I knew I had to check it out. I was trying to figure out what show these images were from. Uh, and I heard it was a sobia asabasa And I looked it up on Crunchyroll, and like the the key image they had on there was just this like kind of sweet, kind of soft image of these three girls laying back together. And I'm like, no, th- this is a mistake. Th- those images I saw were not from this show. And I just started, so I started watching it. I saw the opening, and it's, it's just cheerful, cute girls singing along with a with a satyrin song. And I'm like, no, this is this is wrong. I'm watching the wrong thing. And you, you get a few minutes into the episode and then those horrifying reaction faces start. And you, and then you start to understand what, you know, what this show's true nature is. And, and it is glorious. Um, there, the characters have a very Seinfeld kind of dynamic between them. Like they're not friends, quote unquote, but they, you know, they, they all sort of benefit from being around each other. So they kind of tolerate each other to a degree. Um, but they will gladly sell each other out uh, at an opportune moment um, so a lot of, a lot of, a lot of the sketches in it are kind of kind of constructed like that after a few episodes, they also introduce this very awkward female teacher character who's you know having typical you know woman in her thirties issues <laughs> that come up in the in the series uh and it would since the creator of Asobi Asobase is a is a woman who I presume is in her twenties and thirties uh, that teacher probably has a lot of depressing self-projection going into her which adds another uh dimension to the show um and like some of the stuff that comes up after just a few episodes of the so- sobiasa Base is just so unbelievably surreal and crazy um you-, you won't see it coming i highly recommend this show uh in episode five there is one segment that's a little kind of transphobic <laughs> um it's not too bad but yeah, I, I was a little put off by that one bit, but it's only one segment so far. Hopefully, it's not going to be a recurring thing in the show. But yeah, I still, I still recommend it wholeheartedly. It's, uh, it is delightfully twisted. Um, did you watch any of Happy Sugar Life? Um, I've heard things
1: about it.
0: Yeah, that one is pretty fucked up. Definitely not for everyone. But I will say, after I watched the first episode, I was intrigued enough to watch the second. Um, I don't think I'm going to watch any more of it. (laughs) I think I, I get the idea. Yeah, she, she seems to have killed her family or something, um, and is hiding it behind a, 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 sugary disposition, uh, and she seems to be in love with this little girl that she's apparently kidnapped, and every person in her life is some kind of weirdo, criminal, or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if I can recommend that one. If you, if you like things that are, like, that have, like, a sinister... Atmosphere leaking, hiding behind the surface. Then I, I, mean, I could probably recommend in that case, but not, not, not really for everyone. Uh, Review Starlight. I know has been probably one of the biggest hits of the season so far, at least for for people I interact with.
1: After marathoning a revolutionary girl at Utana, like jumping right into this, um, very familiar vibes. Um, I'm loving it.
0: Well, it is directed by uh, the director is Tomohiro Furukawa, and uh, he's collaborated with uh, with Ikuhara on Penguin Drum and Yurikuma Areshi. Uh, and obviously he... I'm, I'm not sure exactly what his roles were in that show. I think he did a variety of things. But uh, apparently he has been... He's considered to be a collaborator with with Ikohara And that influence really shows on this series. It's, of course, it's not an idol show, because it's focusing on a bunch of girls who are in a theater troupe. But it is basically an idol show like if you were familiar with idol shows it will definitely help you keep track of all these girls that they just kind of throw at you at the beginning which is very it's a very idol show kind of trait um i wouldn't go as far as to say it it like subverts that that kind of series but I would say it kind of takes that that model and does something more with it uh it has really bizarre penguin drum like imagery especially once you get to the halfway point of the first episode they kind of throw that at you uh it uses that re uh reused animation for for the i don't want to call them transformation sequences but like the the preparation sequences for their their audition their secret auditions that take place deep in the basement and are observed by a by a giraffe who's I'm only three episodes in. I guess we don't really know what the... Do we still not know what the giraffe is up to exactly?
1: No, but I feel like his catchphrase is like, I understand. So uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what goes with that. But no, um, I think so far, uh, episode five is probably one of the most strongest of it. But yeah, it's definitely more if you've seen the first three. Like, it's definitely just kind of progressing with that. Um, There's been more... uh Episode four had a nice little uh, breather between... Um. Karen and oh my god, the name escapes me.
0: I know there's like Banana Girl and Banana purple, Nice, pur- pur- Purple Hair Glasses Girl and and Star Hair Clip Girl.
1: Oh, I know I, everyone's been kind of calling that Banana the Banana Girl, just like Banana Nice. She's she's a mothery character. I like her a lot. Okay, so um, episode four had a nice focus between uh, Karen and Hik- Hikari, um. The childhood friend who returned from England is kind of like that mysterious, quiet, like, cold, distant girl now. So they had, like, a nice little uh heart-to-heart talk there. So I feel like there's going to be a new direction with that as they try to um both be top stars. They're going to try to def- uh, beat the system where it can only be, like, the one top star. See how that goes with that. Um What, what I really liked about um, the show so far is, like, very competitive. Like, the girls are going to be top stars, but they're still friends. They still support each other. They work mm-hmm. hard. Um, there's none of, like, girls resorting to pettiness. Um, one girl's kind of manipulative. Um, you'll, you'll see later, but oh so, oh so far it feels like, you know, you could still, you know, be best friends and still try to be that shining star. So I really, I really liked, um, uh, the interactions between all the girls. It's a lot of girls, but after a while you start to, you know, warm up to them.
0: This is definitely a, a, a recommendation I can make. I'm, I'm enjoying this show a lot. It is on high dive. So, you have to subscribe to High Dive to to watch it, but you know, High Dive's not so bad. I've been mm. I've been using it for a while now. They finally have Chromecast. Um there it is certainly better than any streaming service that Funimation has ever tried to put out. And High Dive's pretty cheap right now too, and you get like dubs and stuff on it, so
1: Oh definitely. Yeah.
0: I would say Review Starlight is worth checking out High Dive for.
1: And Legend of the Galactic Heroes.
0: Oh yes. Is do they have the whole thing on there yet?
1: Um, they have the whole OVA. Um, I'm not gonna about the movies yet. I I want to say like one day, but no, the whole like OVA, um, 110 episodes are on it.
0: It's a much better way to watch that than buying the box set that is coming out soon. Which did they? uh I know it was limited to like 2,000. Did, they, did any word, on if they managed to get that many pre-orders for uh, for Sentai's uh, Legend of the Galactic Heroes box set?
1: The last time I seen, I know they some there has been 800 placed. Um, mm-hmm. I wanna. I'm not sure how it's been since. I want to be, like, it's very hard to tell with that uh, price, uh, that price. Um, the, I think uh, the Otacon, like, they did mention if there was, like, a demand, they might consider a regular box set, so fingers crossed.
0: The whole thing with Galactic Legend of Galactic Heroes has always been that the company that has it in Japan refused to license it in the West unless... It was sold, it, it, it could, the condition was it could only be sold as one complete DVD box set, uh, that was $2,000. It seems that they've now dropped that price considerably, but they still, you know, they still expect it to be sold as just one complete set for a very high price. But thankfully we, we have the streaming option now, which has kind of made that easier to swallow, I guess you could say. Mm. But uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Uh I ho- I hope they keep it on high dive and don't at some at some point force people to buy the box set to see it. But it's it's awesome that it's there mm. for sure. Um, uh, speaking of older stuff, one thing that's I guess has kind of forced me to fall behind in a lot of the shows I've been watching because uh, I've been trying to to get caught up when I've been trying to finish Space Adventure Cobra on Crunchyroll before that gets pulled at the end of uh, at the end of August because uh, uh, Right Stuff has lost the rights to it and I apparently will not be renewing it. Uh, that show's pretty awesome. I would say at least you know watch it for a few episodes for sure. It uh, there's a great aesthetic, great sort of classic heavy metal kind of aesthetic to that show that I think is better than heavy metal. The movie that Discotech put out, uh, I think it that it does really capture everything you need from the series. But you get a little more of it when you watch the the TV series. It's not it's not as high budget as that movie was, but it looks phenomenal for a TV show from 1982. It, it kind of blows me away to think that, you know, when we were getting He-Man on, uh, on TV here, <laughs> k- kids in Japan were getting Cobra, which is like such a, it's such a wild contrast. But yeah, it's, it's a, it's a cool thing to check out for sure. I hope I can, I hope I can finish it in time, uh, before the, the, uh, August 30th deadline. Um, oh, and I've been keeping up with Lupin the third part five as well, which has just been phenomenal. Uh, all that new Lupin stuff is just, it's just great. Go watch it if you haven't. Okay, well that's pretty much all I've got. Sarah, anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up?
1: Phantom in the Twilight, um, has actually been more impressive than I thought. Like it's like it's kind of like you know, shoujo sh- a shojo setting based on a Tommy game. I've been really liking it so far. Like uh the world building's been very solid, thought out. Um the guys are actually decent guys. Wow, really? I know. Yeah. I was just like, oh wow, these guys are actually pretty you know, pretty good. Even though there's like a werewolf, a vampire, like they're they're all very uh yeah, they respect uh the heroine. Um I really like her too. She's very active. Uh, she's tried to save her very best friend <laughs> as uh like they're holding hands, doing each other's hair. Very, very good friend. She's just trying to save her uh best friend who's been kidnapped, but I feel like even the damsel in distress is gonna start doing stuff. So overall, uh Phantom in the Twilight is just it's actually pretty good. I- I've been very happy with that one.
0: All right, well, uh, Sarah, I think we're gonna wrap up now. Um, where can people find you online?
1: Um, you can find me on Twitter. Um, my user handle is uh, KittyNT. I think right now, uh, I think I just have like a banana fish icon in my username. But no, like I like interacting with that inner tw- and a Twitter friends. Uh, feel free to follow me. And I'll follow you back.
0: And uh, thanks for tuning in to ZonN Canada. You can reach me on Twitter at jbetteridge uh, or email zonncanada at gmail.com. Uh, please subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play Music, or your podcast app of choice. And also, if you know anyone who might like the show, please recommend it to them. See you again.